You are listening to The Dr. Kinney Show, and I'm your host, Erin Kinney, a naturopathic doctor and speaker who's passionate about teaching you how to understand what is happening in your body, why your body is reacting the way it is, and how to make the appropriate changes in your life to get your body back into balance. Something I've learned from my private practice is that the more patients know about their health, the more likely they are to make better diet and lifestyle choices, which ultimately leads them to a faster recovery. Each week, you are going to learn actionable tips, tricks, and teachings from myself, along with the help of top experts in the holistic health community, so that you can make better informed decisions about your body and your healthcare. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Kenny Show. This week, I'm going to do a Q&A session. We haven't done one of these in a while, and I've been getting a lot of questions. Thank you guys for sending me the questions. I love them. So I'm just going to go through the questions, and I'll give my answers. And as always, if you guys have questions and you want to submit them, you can either email my team at info at drarenkinney.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram. You can go to our website and send an inquiry on there. I love to hear your questions and want to make sure you're getting the content that you want from this show. So let's get into it. So first question I have today is about Hashimoto's. Someone asked, what could be at the root of my Hashimoto's? I know that this is not a thyroid problem. I know this is a problem with my immune system, and I'm wondering what I should look into. Great question. And let me just speak to that a little bit. First of all, yes, if you have Hashimoto's or Graves or any sort of autoimmune thyroid condition, you may have a problem with your thyroid, but ultimately the problem that you have is your body is attacking your thyroid. So it is an issue with your immune system. So when we're looking at any sort of autoimmune condition, we want to look at what has triggered your immune system to think that that part of your body is not good, to think that part of your body is something that needs to be attacked. So there's a lot of different causes and all of these things need to be looked at and figure out whether that is a potential issue in your body. So number one first cause is looking at your body's response to stress and the amount of stress that you've had on your body. Chronic stress will put the immune system into overdrive. And so if you're in a prolonged period of time where you're in fight flight, your immune system can get overactivated and can start to attack things that it shouldn't. So that's number one is kind of looking at what state, what stress state your system is and how how much stress your body's been under. And you know, when I talk about looking at the physical stressors on the body, we want to look at external stressors, which are, you know, job, spouse, kids, pandemic, all the things outside of your body's world. Sometimes these are things you can't control. This could be divorce. It could be move. It could be death. You know, kind of the big stressors could also be, you know, you're always on the go and constantly in, you know, an anxious state. You're constantly worried about stuff that can all be stress. You can then also have internal stressors, which this is a really important one to look at when we're looking at autoimmune conditions, particularly at autoimmune thyroid issues, looking at internal pathogens. So stealth infections like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus, mycotoxins. We just talked a lot about mold stuff on the episode with Brian Carr. You know, if you've had mold exposure, that can trigger the immune system to go a little bit haywire and start attacking parts of your body that it shouldn't be attacking. So again, external stressors, internal stressors. And when we're looking at those internal stressors, particularly the infection ones, those infections specifically can be the thing that sometimes triggers an autoimmune pathway in the body. So Lyme and Epstein-Barr virus and mold are, are three of the biggest ones that I see that contribute particularly to Hashimoto's. 
And what's happening here is, you know, if any Lyme spirochetes or if any viral particles or if any mycotoxins are hanging out in the thyroid tissue, and as the immune system kind of knows that it's there and it's trying to get rid of it or detox it or kill it, it, it may end up, if your immune system is kind of on overdrive trying to do that, it may end up making some antibodies against that thyroid tissue. And so, you know, we're kind of looking at the underlying issues and looking at how do we go about addressing this. We want to make sure that if there is Lyme or if there is a viral thing or if there is mold exposure, that we are addressing those. So those are kind of the biggie things to look at. Stress, chronic infections, and food allergies or food sensitivities are really big. So the what's happening in your gut has a big impact on what's happening in your immune system. So there's that saying that the seat of your immune system is in the small intestine. If there's inflammation in the small intestine, if there's leaky gut, if there are a lot of food sensitivities or food allergies and you're eating said foods, that can kick up inflammation. And if there's inflammation in the small intestine, that can put the the immune system into overdrive. So again, we're kind of looking at what was the underlying factor that caused your immune system to turn on your body. So looking at gut health, looking at food stuff, looking at inflammation markers in the small intestine can be really helpful. Infectious stuff, stress, and then there's also the emotional component too. And this is, or emotional attitude mindset piece. And this sometimes is one that isn't often talked about, but if you're constantly someone who's beating up on yourself, and this is something that needs to be addressed as well as the physical things, but if you're constantly like saying negative things about yourself or talking about your body in a negative way or talking about your actual person in a negative way, if you think about that, that's you know, the same energy as your body attacking itself. So if you're saying not nice things about yourself, or if you're living with someone or spending a lot of time with someone who says not so nice things about you, that will have an impact on your immune system. Your your body energetically will mirror what's going on in your life. And so if if your body is getting, you know, a constant barrage of negative remarks or negative thoughts about itself, that can start to, in an energetic way, affect how your immune system treats the rest of your body. So that's that's one that sometimes is not discussed in functional medicine or is not talked about much of anywhere, but I think that can be a factor that needs to be addressed. And so the way to kind of start working on that is to start with positive affirmations, to start treating your body like you want your body to treat itself, right? So you want your immune system to be nice to your thyroid. You want your immune system to, to love all of the parts of your body. So that starts with kind of your thought process, kind of shifting that starts with your thought process about the body itself. So again, positive affirmations can be a nice way to do this. Any working on any sort of love, self-love practice can be really helpful for this. So I think that's that. That's probably a good answer for that one. Thank you for that question. Question number two. Oh, this, this is a good one. I can't relax. Any tips? Well, I have a lot to say about this. And this is a really common thing that I see. I get patients that come in and they're like, I really want to be calm. I don't want to be stressed, but I feel like anytime I try to sit down or I try to do anything that's supposed to reduce my stress, I can't relax. I can't get into it. I feel like I feel guilty or I feel like I should be doing something. So one, you're not alone. It's okay. This is a really common thing. And and your body's probably in this state because it's trying to protect itself. A lot of us get in kind of like busy go mode. I'm completely guilty of this. I have a hard time relaxing too. I have to work really hard at it. And that's exactly what I would tell you to do is you have to treat relaxing like you would treat training for a 5k or a marathon. Or, you know, if, if you're new to yoga and you go to a yoga class, you can't imagine that yoga is going to feel very good for definitely the first week, even the first few months, it's going to feel a little bit foreign to your body. So if you're 
trying hard to relax and you feel like you can't do it and you're like, screw this, I'm not going to do this. That's not the answer. The answer is to keep practicing. So you've got to keep practicing relaxing. When you're first kind of starting out, I would say pick smaller chunks of time, five to 10 minutes. And maybe that five to 10 minutes is you're going to sit on your bed and read a book. or you are going to do something that's not actively productive. If that feels too foreign to you, taking a walk outside without a phone, without anything other than, you know, what's in your surroundings can be a really good way to to start because your body's moving. So sometimes like a a moving relaxation practice can be a good way to start out your relaxation practices so that you're kind of matching some of that go, go, go energy that you have, but it starts to calm the brain down a little bit. So taking a walk outside and you also get the benefit of nature, which nature calms the nervous system down a little bit. But the, the meat of the answer to this is if you can't relax, the thing you have to do is to just keep practicing, relaxing. And I had somebody on the show maybe 10 episodes ago, or it was Jamie McCoy, and she's a trauma therapist. And we were talking about like the mini relaxing moments. So, and that may even be that you, you know, if you're sitting in a chair and you're kind of hunched forward, and, you know, if you're sit- I'm sitting here recording and I'm like sitting up, I'm excited, I'm, I'm kind of on. So if I were to sit back in my chair and kind of slump down a little bit and let myself feel supported by the chair, even that could be a mini moment of practicing relaxing. So you could, you know, if you're sitting in traffic and you're, you know, you could close your eyes, not for too long, but close your eyes for maybe 10 seconds and just be like, I'm going to take a deep breath. Every time we exhale, that is a practice of relaxing and like letting things go. So I think you could start to look at it of maybe you are relaxing. It's just for smaller moments of time and slowly start to increase that amount of time that you're spending. And the more that you do it, the more your body will understand that it's okay for it to be safe and you will get better at it. Again, just like exercise or just like running or yoga or any physical thing that you do with your body, the more that you practice it, the better you will get. So that's what we have to do with relaxing is we just have to keep practicing. So great question. Okay, next question is, I have really bad PMS symptoms mid-cycle. I don't have any symptoms right before my period. This is a really great question as well. And this is something that I see. I see this a lot in my women who are in their mid to late 30s. So maybe they've already had their kids. They used to have really bad PMS, but it's almost like that PMS time shifts to when they're ovulating. So if you're having it mid-cycle, typically that's a hormonal imbalance around ovulation. And so that can be, it's a common thing I see with women that have adrenal fatigue, that their body is during that ovulation time, their body is prioritizing the ovulation hormones. And so if we get a dip in cortisol at any point in our cycle, whether that's right before the period or during ovulation, we can get anxiety, depression, moodiness, breast tenderness, cramping. So it could be that you're, again, your body is kind of preserving that ovulation. It's making, it's, it's focusing more on the sex hormones and less on your stress hormones. So we're getting a dip in stress hormones at that time. And I say that not in a bad way, a dip in cortisol levels, essentially. So a dip in your body's ability to kind of fix itself or to fix those symptoms. So taking some adrenal support can be really helpful for that, but it's really just your hormones are are out of balance at that ovulation time. So again, that could be from low adrenal hormones. It could also be from too much estrogen. If you're getting a major estrogen surge, which you, you naturally should have an estrogen surge during ovulation, but if your estrogen is surging too high, or and or the body is having a harder time breaking down estrogen at that point, that can be causing some of those symptoms as well. So what I would recommend if you're struggling with this is to have your hormones, your sex hormones, your thyroid and your adrenal hormones checked during that time. 
So, you know, oftentimes, you know, when I have patients coming in and they have some sort of hormonal symptom that's happening at a regular interval, whether it's PMS or ovulation time, we will test their hormone levels during that time of the cycle when they're having those symptoms. So if you're working with a doctor, make sure that you get those hormones checked when you're experiencing those symptoms so you can figure out what's going on and then kind of proceed from there. Okay, next question is, best way to test your adrenals? What should I be looking for? Also, great question. So I typically start by testing cortisol, DHEA, testosterone. I also look at all of the nutrient levels like iron, vitamin D, magnesium, B6, B5, iodine, which kind of all have help as cofactors and help your body make cortisol and help the adrenals you know, kind of do their job. But really, I look at morning cortisol levels and this can be done in the blood. This, this is one way to kind of start. If your morning cortisol levels are below 10, it's not great. We want them to be ideally around 15 is what you want your morning blood cortisol levels to be. If they're lower than that, that's an issue. Um, DHEA is a precursor hormone to cortisol. And if that number is really low and or really high, that can indicate, you know, something going on with the adrenals. And then both men and women, I also like to look at testosterone as an adrenal marker. Oftentimes if cortisol levels are low or if the body's kind of lower on cortisol, it will start to steal from testosterone stores. And well, more so it steals from the DHEA and DHEA will also get converted to testosterone. So, so we'll start to see a lowering of testosterone levels. So if your testosterone levels are low and your cortisol levels are kind of quasi low, that can indicate a low adrenal thing. There are other testing options available as well. I like to start with the morning blood cortisol because it's I'm running everything else at that time. If those things are off or if we're not seeing results after treating something or um, maybe cortisol levels were normal, but patient is still presenting as like someone who is struggling with adrenal fatigue. Either I go ahead and treat or the other testing that I really like is the Dutch test, which is a urine test, which will look at urine cortisol levels. It'll look at urinary metabolite breakdown products of cortisol. So we can kind of see how the body's utilizing cortisol and some of its metabolites. It also will look at all of your other hormones. So progesterone, estrogen, and how the body breaks that down. So that could be a really helpful test. It is about $450. So it's not something I always run right off the bat because I like to, you know, I like to have as much as we can have insurance cover labs, but that can be a really helpful test. The other thing that a lot of practices will do is they'll order what's called a four point cortisol test. And that's typically done with saliva. So you might get a little kit set in the mail. You'll test your hormone or your saliva when you first wake up around 10 a.m., around 2, and then before bed. And so we can get a graph of what your cortisol levels are doing. That can be helpful. I find that most people are able to gauge what their cortisol levels are based on what your energy levels are. So cortisol is what's giving you energy. So if you're if you wake up and you pop out of bed and your energy's great, and then maybe you're getting a crazy slump around noon, you're probably having a crazy drop of cortisol in that first half of the day. So I my, you know, best at home thing to do if you want to kind of see where your adrenals are is to plot your energy levels throughout the day. So on a scale of one to 10, when I first wake up, what are they? Are they, is it a seven? Is it an eight? And then does it go down to a five? And then you can kind of see, you can get a guesstimate for what your cortisol levels are doing. If that's not good enough for you, again, these other options are, are awesome, but that's kind of the way that I look at adrenals and what the actual cortisol level is doing. So and then the other thing that I would just mention is sometimes I will suspect just on talking to someone, if they're really, really tired and they have a lot of other symptoms of adrenal fatigue and they've had you know chronic stress for a prolonged period of time, I will treat their adrenals as a test to kind of see, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on this adrenal score and we're going to see how you respond. And if you respond really well and you feel great, 
that's a pretty good indication that your adrenals need a little bit of support. So that could be another test too, is you could try taking an adrenal support supplement for, you know, two to three weeks and see if you notice a difference. If you don't notice any difference, then that that's where further testing can be really helpful. If you do notice a difference, then it's probably safe to say that your adrenals needed a little bit of support. So, all right, those are my favorite ways to test adrenals. Let's see. Next question. I seem to have all of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, but I don't respond to medication. My levels were, sorry, my levels were two, my TSH levels were 2.6. I was treated, but I don't feel any better. So this is a really common thing that I see where patients will come in, they've either been diagnosed with hypothyroidism or it runs in their family or they have every single symptom of hypothyroidism and a practitioner has put them on thyroid medication. And I sometimes do this as well. Someone comes in, you know, they've got all the hallmark symptoms of thyroid and I treat their thyroid and they don't feel any better. Sometimes their markers might go up a little bit, but but the most important thing is how they're feeling. And if you're not feeling better, despite taking a thyroid medication, something else is going on. So that maybe that there's an autoimmune thyroid issue going on. So, you know, making sure that your antibody levels are tested. And I just a note here, I have a few patients that I'm working with right now that their antibody levels are negative, but they it's almost like they have Hashimoto's, but their body, it, it's not showing up on the test. They present like someone who has Hashimoto's. So this is kind of an interesting, but I will find that I find that people that don't respond to thyroid medication, despite having a thyroid issue, there's typically some sort of infection going on that needs to be cleared. And once that infection is cleared, they will respond like to thyroid medicine immediately. So Lyme disease is a big one here. It's really common to see if you have Lyme, that thyroid medication will not work for your thyroid. It will mess with the uptake. It messes with your body's ability to process the thyroid medication. So, you know, if, if this is you, I highly recommend getting tested for like a, a whole stealth pathogen workup. So Epstein-Barr, Lyme disease, all the tick-borne diseases really, Babesia, Ehrlichia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which by the way, I have seen a huge increase in number of cases of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever in the last year. Really interesting. I've seen so many people test positive for it. We treat them and they seem so much better and they don't have the typical hallmark Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever symptoms. They might just have headaches or extreme fatigue or hormonal imbalances. And the same thing kind of goes for Lyme, but that any of those tick-borne diseases can be something that could affect the way the body is uptaking thyroid medication. So, so tick-borne stuff, and again, viral things, so Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, mycoplasma, some of these stealth pathogens are really important to test for. And then mold exposure is another big one. And like I said, we talked a lot about mold on the last episode. And, you know, if, if, if you suspect might mold, mold might be an issue, you know, ask your doctor to check you for mold. There are blood mold markers the ones I like to use, there's one called Transgrowth Factor Beta 1. I use C3A, C4A, CD57. There's one called MMP9, and there's one called Melanocyte Stimulating Hormone. So these are all immune markers that will be grossly out of range if you've been exposed to mold. You can also do a mycotoxin panel. That can either be, usually it's through urine, where they'll actually test for levels of mycotoxins in the urine. And if you have any of those come back positive, then you've definitely been exposed to some sort of mold. And as we talked about on the last episode, you know, looking at your home. So you can go check out Mold Finders and he can kind of show you what to look for. And there's a lot of resources that we talked about on the last episode if you're thinking that mold might be an issue. And, you know, I I, I don't know if I said this on this last episode, but if, if you're struggling with any sort of health issue and you've kind of identified what it is and you're treating it and it's not getting better, like you're not responding to a typical treatment, this is where you want to go look at these things that I'm talking about. Mold, Lyme, EBV, parasites could also be another one. And check for those. And usually when those get addressed, 
then you'll start seeing a better response to the normal protocol for whatever condition or symptom pathology that you're dealing with. So yeah, so if you're struggling with all the hypothyroid symptoms and you just don't seem to respond to thyroid medication, then it's time to dive a little bit deeper and see if there's something else going on that needs to be addressed. And typically, you know, in my experience, once whatever that is, is addressed, you will probably see a better response to the thyroid medication. And that's all I have for today. I'm running out of time here on my recording afternoon. So we're going to keep this as a short episode. I thank you guys so much for these questions. Really good ones. And like I said, please email us or contact us with other questions. We'll do another Q&A questions episode soon. And thank you guys so much for supporting the show and being here. Sending love to everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Dr. Kinney Show. Be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and a review. It supports me so much. Plus, I always love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week.